Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, Father, be merciful upon us. Grant us your truth. May we be transformed by your Spirit. And may we show honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's an interesting passage in Hebrews, 11th chapter, where the writer of Hebrews is detailing the great heroes of the faith. And he he writes, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. Well, So the writer of Hebrews includes the father of Moses. But the text, which we're going to look at today, has nothing to do with the dad. It's all about the mom and other women. As a matter of fact, we don't even know the Pharaoh's name. But we do know the name of the midwives who are going to act in defiance of Pharaoh. Now, the text also refers to the two midwives whose names we have as Hebrew women. But the Hebrew in this case is ambivalent. It could be women of the Hebrews or women to the Hebrews. I think they were Egyptian women and that they were acting as midwives to the Hebrew women. Pharaoh brings them in and tells them, well, hear the word of God. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Pardon me, I'm starting in the wrong place. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, They refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives. What have you done? Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. And so God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that it was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. 
Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maids to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own. The princess named him Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. And so this is one of those instances in which we either fear God or we fear anything. If we fear God, reality is we have nothing to fear. And these women, acting in absolute defiance to the most powerful man in the known world at that time, feared God. And and I love this because when he called them into his chamber to ask what they had done by letting these Hebrew women give birth, they lied to him. You know, it's not a bad thing to lie to a really bad person. (laughs) They lied to him. But also the the language, we've used used some rather delicate language in this case. They say, well, the Hebrew women are vigorous. They have those babies so fast, we just can't get there in time. Another way, and perhaps the most accurate way of translating this, is those Hebrew women are animals. And that would fit the whole mentality of a slaveholder with his slaves, of a a dictator with those who he expects to bow down to him. Those animals. So the midwives leave, probably smiling. And this little baby is born And we don't know until later that it's Amram and Jochebed that are the parents. Born to Moses. Moses is born to this couple. And they love this little baby. And yet, at three months old, you know what happens. Babies get loud, especially little boys. And they just cannot keep him quiet enough. And so they're worried that that the Egyptians, someone out there might come in and try to take this child from them. And so they put the baby in a basket and float it down the river. And as God's hand would protect this child, as providence would have it, and, and mom sends a baby, terrified, you can imagine how she feels sending a little three month old down the river. And so she sends her daughter who's older to, to watch 
as the basket goes down the river. And as it goes, and here comes the princess of Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh. And she has her attendants with her, and she's coming down to bathe in the, in the Nile. And she sees this basket, she has her attendants go pick it up, she looks, and here is this little boy. And, and who can do anything but love such a thing? A little boy in a basket, who can do anything but, but cherish a child such as that? And so the sister comes up, tell you what, I know somebody who can midwife, pardon me, who can nurse this child. Brings her mom, and it turns out that Moses grows up at least beyond at least the time of weaning, which was considered to be four or five years old at that time. And this little boy is raised essentially in the house into which he was born. But all of the players here, all of the players are the women acting in defiance. All of the players are those who understand what it is to be a mother more than anyone. And even those who've not had babies enter into this, this great mystery of nurturing the next generation and of loving this child. And so there's sort of a, a conspiracy of women that comes together, they coalesce over against this incredibly powerful man who would kill people at nothing. But the women come together and do this. And one of my problems, as I've said, with fundamentalists is that they're not fundamental enough. One of my problems with liberals is they're not liberal enough. So the Old Testament is, is considered to be, oh, it's all patriarchal and you know, it's all men ruling and all that sort of thing, un until you do a good reading of the Old Testament. It honors women. It has a high regard for women. At some point this, re this week, just read Proverbs 31 and how it elevates the woman. And yes, there's some stuff in there that reflects the cultural realities of, of, the, of the time. But if the fundamentalists would read beyond that and get down to the realities of how women are really treated, and the liberals, rather than looking for something with which to criticize the Old Testament, would look for something with which to understand the Old Testament, then they would see this, this great elevation. Even the story of creation, the woman is created last. And creation is a story of ascending complexity and sophistication, such that the last creation is the woman. And after that, God's done. And God leaves, and the woman is of such a magnificent nature that Adam is tempted to worship her. And for God, that's quite all right. And so we have this reality that we celebrate today. It's more than just that of mothers, because many cannot, cannot, could not have children or cannot have children. But we celebrate this reality of the, the woman as the, as the mother of all life, and even those who cannot bear children nevertheless participate in that great mystery. 
And in the course of my ministry, I've, I've of course known women who, for one reason or another, have lost a child. And there is a, a pain that cuts so very deep. As a, as a man, I'm not sure I can enter into that pain. But it's a deep and profound, a cosmic anguish, a cosmic pain. And so the woman, the woman is the mother of all things, is honored on such a day as this. Remember, I was was six or seven years old, something like that. Saturday morning. So when I was six or seven years old, you know what I was doing on a Saturday morning? I was not out working on the lawn with Dad. I was inside watching cartoons (laughs) because that's what you do on a Saturday morning. There were no cartoons all during the week, but Saturday morning was cartoon time. You know, Daffy Duck, Bugs Bunny, and all that great stuff. I still like to watch it every now and then, some of these old cartoons. So I'm inside with my sisters. We're watching cartoons. And Dad comes in from working on the lawn, and he he makes this broad declaration. You've probably heard this kind of thing before. You kids do nothing around here. And he turned to me, Kurt, you're lazy. (laughs) That really stuck with me. You're lazy. It was Saturday. Next day was Mother's Day. So at some point that afternoon, I went into the kitchen, went under the sink, and pulled out a a grocery bag. And I was going to prepare a Christmas, pardon me, a Mother's Day gift for Mom. And did what I had to do, and the next day, after church, after dinner, after church, I was um, sitting at the table, mom and, mom and the girls and dad, and, and uh, there was a, a little bit of a fuss made because it was Mother's Day. And I reached under my chair and pulled out the paper bag. Mother looked in it, op- opened it up, and pulled out what I put inside. It was a Tangle of weeds. And mother gave me a great big kiss. And she said, thank you, honey. She knew what I'd done. I went out and did some weeding in the yard. Not for dad. But for mom. And she got it. And then in the last days of her life, mom, it was either just dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it might be, you know, those horrific afflictions that afflict so many of us. And a couple in my church when I was over at First Press at uh, Christmas time, told me I needed to go out there. And they had miles. And so they let me have their miles to, 
to get out there and see the family. And it was always after Christmas because we ministers do Christmas for everyone else. And um, we, we went out and, and um, or I should say I went out. I just went out alone. Had this time at home with, with mom and dad and my sisters. And dad had set up a bed down in the dining room for mom, one of those hospital beds. And he had some Tommy Dorsey, Glenn Miller, et cetera, on, on the stereo playing softly. And the dining room looked out onto the back patio where dad had Christmas lights hanging. So it was a beautiful scene. And that whole time, I was there for about a week, mother didn't know me. And yet I, I would see her and go in and kiss her. I know some of you have been there. And it's such a hard thing for, for us when mom doesn't know who we are. So it was the morning I was going to leave. It was an early flight. I went downstairs into the, into the dining room where mom was. And I took her hand and I kissed her face and I just said, Mom, I love you so much. And she squeezed my hand and said, I love you, Kurt. The last words I ever heard from my mother were the first words I ever heard from my mother. And do we have any real acknowledgement or recognition that there is nothing in this life that replicates the divine love of God quite like the depth, primal, the deep, primal love of our mothers for us? So that's, that's worth more than a card more than a bag of weeds. It's worthy of our honor. And God commands us to do so in the fifth commandment. And so on such a day as this, this is an opportunity for us to acknowledge, remember, and honor. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for that which is beyond our comprehension, but which we see all the time, which we experience with every breath. And that is that we have been loved, and in no small manner, we have been loved as you first loved us. And we are profoundly grateful, and only hope, Lord, that the way we live might live up to the way that we've been loved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.